it felt like a curse had been lifted. Like it felt like one of those games where it was the christening of a new era. And that era doesn't necessarily, Lord knows what it's going to amount to. But there was a vibe even just watching from home that was like, we, this was dispelling the remaining stink of Conte, of Mourinho, of Nuno. And that kind of period of this club is hopefully firmly behind this foreseeable. Hello and welcome to the Plus Dave podcast. Little change this week. Dagus is not here today. Instead, you've got to put up with me droning on a little more than usual for the next hour odd. But uh, the rest of the usual lineup is here. Um, we've got Socks, we've got Dave, and as promised last week, we've got a young Manchester United fan called Harry who is not in a very good mood. Um, we're obviously very pleased about that in this room. Here a little bit less so, but we'll, we'll trust him to be a little bit impartial, not completely partisan, and take it all in good grace. And even if he doesn't, he's going to get bullied just as much as he deserves for supporting Manchester United. But uh, <laughs> before we get to him, let's uh, start off with checking on the welfare of um, Sox, who is going to be a slightly shocked Spurs fan after witnessing what he saw the other day. How's it going? Good, thank you. Yeah, the best way I can describe it is I have been part of a WhatsApp group for many years, but for the last two years, it's with my brother and a friend of ours who are both Spurs fans. For the last couple of years, that WhatsApp group has been titled De Primere in Desperatio, which is Latin for despair into depression. As of about 7.30pm on Saturday night, that WhatsApp group is now called Gaudium et Delectatio, which is Latin for joy and delight, which just about sums up exactly how I'm feeling after the game. So yeah, surprisingly buoyant after a surprisingly good result and an even more surprisingly, I'd argue, good performance. So happy to be here. Well, delighted to hear it. Obviously, I share those sentiments. I'm sure Dagus does too. Irony being today, Dagus is all the way in Leeds, uh, letting the team down. I'm not sure who told him he could go on holiday during the football season, but it's happened and we have to deal with it. So um, delighted to see you're in good spirits. Dave, I obviously watched your match with you on uh, Friday evening as well. I think you left that feeling relatively okay. It could have been a lot worse, especially with a Premier League front four missing from your lineup. What did you think of Spurs Manchester United and how are you feeling about football in general today? Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, um, the, I don't want to talk about Leeds. Um, I'm really excited for the, the transfer window is now is now seven, seven days close to closing. Uh, I really can't wait until the 2nd of September so that we actually know what players we have and nobody can be on strike anymore because they can't, they don't have anywhere to go. So that'll be good. Um, I uh, I enjoyed uh, the Spurs game. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a, in a lot more detail. Um, and I think uh, based on the chat and the WhatsApp group, uh, I think a lot of people have come around to my, uh, my opinion that it is essentially Rat Boys United uh, over in Manchester. They've all got such rat punchable faces. It's incredible. Uh, I think Garnacho is at new levels, to be honest. Uh, but anyway, we'll go into that, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, looking forward to uh, talking about this one. I'm I'm, I'm going to try not to be too mean to Harry because, you know, it's not easy losing to Spurs. Not many teams do it. Who were the last team to lose to Spurs in the Premier League? That'd probably be us. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. So you know where exactly. you, you know we're, what you're talking we're, about. We're sadly. on the same side. Here, uh, and Carl, Leeds and Manchester come together. It's like the War of the Roses never even happens. And on to our youngest plus David today. Not sure you'll be in the best of spirits, but would love to know what, you, uh, what you're what you looking forward to talking about, I guess, and how you're doing generally. I'm okay, thanks. It was a 
a disappointing game of the weekend, wasn't it? Especially from a United perspective. I think for, for the neutrals that are listening, it was a very entertaining game. It was end-to-end, but the quality of football, especially from United's side, was very poor at the weekend. So Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. And I think after your previous match, which obviously came after our recording, uh, we we did sense that there could be blood because it wasn't a brilliant performance from you against what clearly isn't a magnificent wall slide. So we we went into the match relatively optimistic. I don't think anybody could have expected things to have unfolded quite as they did, though, unless you're as foolish as I am. And like I said, uh, 50% of my points of view ahead of a match is just blind faith and uh, I, I'm not too proud to admit that. I guess what I'd ask is just in a nutshell as we'll elaborate on everything as we go along do you think this was more of a case of your guys underperforming and your guys not actually maybe giving us the respect we deserve um, as a team or do you think this was just us performing at a really decent level that you couldn't live with and blowing you away? I definitely think Spurs exceeded my expectations, especially after watching them against Brentford. But I do also think that on a different day, especially because I think it was an Eric Ten Hag disaster class, I feel like on a different day, if Eric Ten Hag got it right, it could have been maybe uh, a different score. But- I think that's probably a common theme with all of us today. And moving over to you then, Socks, obviously uh, you've, come at it with uh probably more of a glass half full uh point of view given your allegiances so what what particularly pleased you about this match if there was something that you're going to take away from this game that you're going to hang your hat on as this is what made me love this match believe again etc etc what would it be describe it i mean we, we spoke about it <laughs> you called me on the way back from the game uh on saturday we had a chat and the the i think the phrase i used was that it felt like a curse had been lifted. Like it felt like one of those games where it was the christening of a new era. And that era doesn't necessarily, Lord knows what it's going to amount to, but there was a vibe even just watching from home that was like, we, this was dispelling the remaining stink of Conte, of Mourinho, of Nuno. And that kind of period of this club is hopefully firmly behind this foreseeable. And a lot of that is just, well, I'm, it's all and really, both with regards to the fact that everybody's kind of fallen in love with him. But also you think of the fact that he's effectively had, what, six weeks? He's been there for something like six weeks. The performance, without being brilliant, like, I'll be honest, I think it's being overstated slightly by some people in the media and some of our own fans. Our own fans, I understand, because we're all kind of delirious and joyous and we're going to be a bit more hysterical emotionally. But we are still ahead of schedule relative to six weeks worth of work we are ahead of where we were compared to what Pochettino did in a similar frame of time for example or what you'd expect to happen elsewhere similar to what Harry said like you said Spurs exceeded his expectations they exceeded mine as well I didn't think we were all that in the first half bar pretty much an attack right from kickoff but in the second half you started to see a team and you started to see patterns of play and you start to think to yourself if we're doing this in six weeks then what are we doing in three months and if we're doing x y and z in three months then what are we doing in six months and I think that's the thing that excites me. Like, I'm not, my opinion hasn't changed too much in the sense that I'm expecting the first few months of the season to still be bumpy. And it wouldn't shock me if the slightest, in the slightest, if we lose to a Bournemouth or a Burnley. Not that I think we will, but that is the nature of being so early on in this process. But to have played that well, and there are definitely, there's definitely an asterisk next to the word well, uh, so early on is. Absolutely. And I guess I, there is a slight tonal change from you there in that you just said you 
don't expect defeat in those upcoming couple of games. We've got Bournemouth away, Burnley away, and then we have Sheffield United home on the other side of the international break. A few weeks ago, when you were predicting what was to come, you were definitely far less optimistic and far more of the vein that we could end up sort of with five defeats on the bounce, I seem to remember you saying, or something like that. Maybe not quite that dramatic. So looking at the upcoming fixtures now, and a lot of what we've talked about is getting early momentum. Do you think with the confidence we've got, there could be that opportunity to really get some early momentum, get ahead of steam up and actually build on this in really exciting fashion? I honestly don't care. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't give a shit because the only thing I give a shit about is the thing that I've already gone because I can't wait to see us play on the weekend. That's all I care about. That's all I, not because I don't have expectations for this season or I don't have expectations at the club, but I've gotten the most important thing out the way and I'm bracing myself for, like, to answer your question, the short answer is obviously yes. Like, we're facing teams who on paper aren't as good as us. Bournemouth also have a new manager. I know they're at home, but they have a new coach. So it's not said this is a team that is miles ahead of us in their process. Burnley have a very good coach and a young coach in Vincent Company, but obviously they've just come up. And again, Sheffield United on paper at home, that's a disaster if that's not anything other than three points. So yeah, I mean, you could get three wins, you could get two wins in a draw, but it, it, this is this was always meant to be a foundational transitional season with everything on top of that being a bonus. Where I will sound slightly hyperbolic, I suppose, is that I'm already seeing enough that gives me confidence that we will do everything that I hoped we would do. I don't know if that means we're going to end up finishing fourth or seventh, but I'm, I'm less concerned. Again, I, I obviously want to win against Bournemouth and I'll be disappointed if we don't win. It will hurt when we lose, etc., etc. I'm not some emotionless robot that has fallen out of love with the club, the exact opposite. I'm getting the breadcrumbs that I needed. I'm, I'm getting, you know, a, a man and a figure to kind of fall in love with again. I'm getting football and players that that excite me. And like I say, like, how many times did we do this last season where we said the same thing? It's like, oh, bloody, we were counting down towards the end of last season, guy, five more games to go, four more games to go. I remember. It's like 99 bottles of beer on the wall. We were counting it down every single week. So for me to be able to say, I'm now counting it down, but I'm like, oh, when do we play? Okay, it's Saturday, 12.30. It's, I've got that kind of zest for Tottenham back. So the results are secondary to me this season. Well, I mean, it's, I guess, refreshing to hear you speak that optimistically and that sort of uh, happily about it. I will also just question whether all those years of disappointments have now just boiled your entire expectations down to one great win and you'll be happy for forevermore but no no joke aside it it's obviously uh worth keeping in mind that it's still early days this was great this showcases what we could look forward to but equally we can call it an amuse bush as opposed to the main course just now if we get nine points for the next three games, it might be a very different conversation ahead of the North London derby. So let's see. But right now, I think uh, a lot of Spurs fans would probably be wise to temper expectations based on the fact that this is the beginning of the journey and was like ahead of schedule and um, sort of uh, already sort of blowing teams away. And that kind of thing can be dangerous in how they could elevate expectations because really this is the manager's second game in charge he's probably not going to get ahead of himself based on everything we've seen of him so far. So we probably shouldn't either. Let's get the neutral viewpoint there. Well, I say neutral, you're very much a Spurs fan on Saturday, Dave, but what would you take from that match, both on the plus side, but also a few negatives? Cause uh, it definitely wasn't perfect as Sock said. I think it's important to add the context, which Sky Sports were desperate to add uh, throughout that game, which was last season in, was it nine, nine away games? Uh, against the the rest of whatever it must have been top ten, um, you got you got a point 
I think, in all of those nine games. So it's not as if this is a spectacular implosion never before seen at Manchester United. Um, they haven't particularly travelled well over the last season in two games. And I think you need to temper your excitement with that. But at the same time, Manchester United are a decent team. Eric Ten Hag is a decent coach, although I find it interesting that Harry mentioned that kind of was a disaster class that you mentioned. It's almost like it's, he seems to have that in him and that that almost inability. And I don't know if it was stubbornness because I, and I think they mentioned it on Sky quite a lot that you know you will you'd lost control of the field and and the way that you get control of midfield is get someone in there to mix it up. And you had somebody who I don't particularly rate that much, McTominay, but he was there and he was on your bench and he could have done that or at least could have tried, but. Ten Hag set in his ways. He obviously doesn't think he's he's a player and doesn't want to doesn't want to involve him in 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 the game if he can avoid it. So he didn't come on, and so that's that's an interesting point. And I think it's worth it's worth getting your opinion on that a bit more, in a bit more detail, Harry, because I think um, cutting off one's nose to spite one's face is you know something that something that to an extent I've been used to with uh, certainly from the BLC years. You know we were great and it was thrilling, but it got too thrilling and uh, we ended up going the other way. Um, in terms of in terms of um, Spurs and and uh, and the performance, um, similar to what we talked about uh, in the first game, really a, a lot of things happened that and that were the same as happening last game, which I think is really promising because that is a trend or the start of a trend at least. Um, Basuma was quality. Um, Saar was a, a really good a really good um, uh, a partner for him in the middle. Um, which I think is great because I think gives you uh, another another bona fide starter in a big game option, which I think if you honestly talk to yourselves, Elia and Sox, you didn't believe you'd had that with Saar. You know, he hasn't necessarily proved himself until that point, but that was a game where he really stood out and did a really good job and got a goal as well, um, which was, you know, a good dart in the uh, in the box when uh, when the ball was being kept alive. Um, I think Van der Ven was really positive. I think Romero was really good. I didn't really see any issues with Doggy either. Uh, you know, so a lot of the new starters that you got, I think Madison was, was there. And I think, uh, again, similar to what I said last week, I think he's still kind of learning his place and learning his position. There was another few instances where you know you throw a blanket over two or three of your of your players in midfield and and I and I think you know that will come with time but ultimately if that's one person then I think that's 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 something that can just come and just will work eventually and then the front three um uh were a bit better uh than I think than I think the week before and I guess that's what you want you just want an improvement if I were a Spurs fan and I, I would probably have a similar opinion to Sox in the sense that you know you're interested to see what's going to be next you're interested to see what the next step's going to be uh, and if the progress keeps progressing then uh, then then you're going to be in a good place to your point on the next three games uh, you should win those next three games uh, and I don't think the conversation should be different um, I think you should still be seeing it as a progression don't get excited because I think there's every chance that you'll beat Bournemouth because they're in the same position as you but Iriola plays more chaotic football and doesn't have as good players which should play into your hands you should be beating Burnley you should be beating Sheffield United so I think it says every chance that and I think you know along the lines of what you said uh, earlier in, in one of your hot takes I think you could be top of the league by, by the time you play Arsenal and then who knows what happens well, fingers crossed, though. Look how long both of you got to speak without me as one of the other guests to interrupt you every few minutes. I'm going to have to learn a lesson from this episode, I think. And 
I hope that gets edited out now that I've said it, because Dags might just hold me to task on that as well. It might, we might have to replace the United jar with the interruption jar, uh, potentially. And that everything you say makes sense. And I think sort of, I mean, we'll look into detail at a couple of the player performances as well. We'll preview Bournemouth a bit more later. But right now, start of the journey, good start of the journey. And it's worrying how sensible we're all being. That That's not something that I, I would have of any of us, to tell you the truth, especially not Socks, now that we've established he's the emotional one in the group. Um, and I, I guess Socks, I'd ask you to now sort of describe is, was there anything that worried you? Or is there anything that you saw as an issue, something that we're going to have to be wary of going forward? And not just in simple terms of sort of, oh, well, the defence got preached a couple of times, because these are things we know. But in terms of, the overall system, the style, the way we played. I don't know if I'd say I was concerned by anything other than it's the stuff you'd expect a team that's barely played together to kind of exhibit in the sense that in the first half, we conceded two or three really good chances. I think there was a Rashford header that would have been offside anyway, but there was obviously the Bruno one, which is about as golden as chances come. And, you know, if you go 1-0 down, then maybe they sit deeper, maybe they hit you on the counter-attack more and the game completely changes. So we were open at the back, but that's... That's the risk of the Postecoglou system, even when it's firing on all cylinders, let alone kind of huffing and puffing together after six weeks. So I'm not concerned in the sense that I'm not seeing anything that I don't think any of us could have predicted or not expected or anything like that. I suppose for the second week in a row, it's the front three that have been misfiring and we've scored four goals across two games and there hasn't been a single forward player that scored them. It's all been defenders, Pape Saran and own goal from a defender as well. So the front three are yet to click. Son is, again, I thought he had a slightly better game and I thought he was playing types of passes that I've never seen him do before, but he's still not the right fit for that one. Uh, winger role, I would say Kuliseski, again, maybe a better game, but probably still not the greatest fit, even though he's a better fit. And Richarlison, largely anonymous. And I don't mind him not taking too many touches because that isn't the role of that number nine in a Postecoglou system. If you looked at Celtic last season, whenever they played a number nine, whether it was Kyogo or Jota up there, I think it was Kyogo, he would always end the game with the fewest touches of any player on the pitch. So it's not Richarlison's fault that he's not being involved. His job is to keep the centre-backs occupied. But it is a problem when we're not feeding him. And again, that kind of stems back to the wingers. So if you've got an issue on the left and you've got an issue on the right, by definition, you're then going to have an issue in the middle because nobody's feeding Richarlison any chances to kind of finish. And obviously, he was really frustrated coming off. So it's the front three that I suppose present more of a long-term concern because... I'm not concerned with something that could be fixed over time because the time will come, like the world isn't going to end tomorrow. I'm concerned about the things where we don't have personnel because that requires us to go out and do something about it in the next 10 days, which we may or may not do. So if we're sat here in a couple of weeks' time and it's still Son and Kudaseski without too much better way of option, I know we have Solomon, I know we have Perisic as well, who obviously haven't really started yet, but have shown glimpses when they played, then I think that might be the thing that will cause us more of a long-term problem uh, for the rest of the season. But the rest, not pity, to be honest. I think it's really interesting because there's a slightly different, there's a different dynamic. There's concerns and, and and you know, I, I think I agree with everything that Sox said there, but I think one of the things that completely negates concerns is faith in the fact that you've got the right person in charge of your club, um, putting it in the right direction. And I think that is a big deal. You know, you know, obviously your fan base has really taken to big Ange and I've seen some of the chants that are going around and some are good and some are not good. Um, but that's such a big deal when you've got someone who you, you ultimately you have faith in and trust. And that that's a key word because that's one of the things I just don't think you had when you had the glam bosses uh, of the past. Trust to actually see what you're seeing solves the problem. Um, 
which is such a simple thing to say, but it's so it's so rare, so rare to find someone who can do that and can actually see the things that you're seeing solve the problem. And yeah, that might mean you spend an extra bit of a bit of cash on a player to to plug a hole, but ultimately you got ten days to do it. I wish there weren't ten days left in the in the transfer window. So. You know, we'd keep all our players, but, you know, it works the other way for you guys. Look at the start of last season. We went unbeaten in nine games and it was our best ever start to this. It's a bit arbitrary because Sky would say it's their best ever start to the season. It's like, does the start mean five games or 15? But either way, we went unbeaten in something like nine games and we were looking at it and going, well, Wolves at home was crap and Forest away was crap, even though we won both those games and West Ham away was crap and this game was crap. Uh, so it's exactly today's point. We're all sat there and it was at the back of your mind. You started to think to yourself like, all right, we're winning, but this is going to come undone. It wouldn't shock me if after nine games this season, we have way fewer points than what we did last year and everybody's in a much more buoyant and optimistic mood. So yeah, I agree with what they said. It's it's more about what you can see or the person you can see who can negate the concerns, as Dave nicely put it, as opposed to, all right, let's just win for the sake of winning because you can you can smell it as a fan when you're just papering over crap. You, you really can. And not just last season, but the previous season as well. We won our first three under Nuno and well, look what happened in the remaining six or seven they had in charge after that. It was, to use Harry's term from earlier, a disaster class. So uh, I, I do think that we can all sense the winds of change and it's positive at the moment. Harry, take your Manchester United hat off for a moment and, uh, and be a neutral. First half, the game was probably first 15, 20 minutes, very much a Manchester United win. And then the rest of that half, I think, probably went to us when we got that uh, first Poro shot that hit the woodwork half that we raised in confidence and seemed to take the, the game by the scruff. But it wasn't what the second half was. It wasn't sort of the one-way traffic we saw after half time. Um, were you impressed by the way we changed things up, the way the narrow fullbacks were moved further wide to give them a little bit more and stretch you out a little bit more in the way we tweaked our formation? Because Manchester United's very effective press in the first half seemed to fizzle out after half time. Or do you think that was more to do with Manchester United's fitness level, Paul, Eric Coward's disaster class, etc.? What do you think of uh, that situation? I think it's a bit of I think it's a bit of both to be honest. I think obviously the players not being fully match fit has a part to play in it. But I don't want to take that away from Spurs, who clearly smelled blood. You could tell that a lot of the players in that Man United side were very tired. Probably around the the hour mark, that I could see some of them blowing. Um, and Spurs, I could just they just smelled blood. They were fluid, cohesive as a unit. Nice. I saw nice passing triangles. I thought it's very different from what I've seen from Spurs in the past. I could imagine it was an enjoyable watch as a Spurs fan. I thought they won the midfield battle, especially in the second half when Mason Mount, the the invisible man, just decided to... He was just there. He was like a spare man. I don't want to say I told you so, but... (laughs) Yeah, and they just capitalised on a weak Man United mentality, which is... A common theme in the running seasons and previous games. If it doesn't go our way in the first half, which I believe the penalty, the penalty shout, I feel like that probably should have been a handball. Could have been one up in the first half, but again, can't really rely on VAR to come and save you. VAR are the most unreliable. I think this was a very rare sight, having been at 30, 35 years worth of Spurs Manchester United matches in that I saw a Manchester United side that looked scared and that was, well, great for me, but obviously something that the majority of Manchester United fans probably don't identify with given what uh, you've all been reared on. 
looking at that incident that you alluded to, you've mentioned the Romero handball. I mean, from where I was in the stand, it looked like it was hit at him from very close up. From the replays I've seen where they slow-mo it, where they still it, his arm is quite far outstretched. So I think that's one of those where if the ref gives it, then you don't disagree. But if he doesn't give it, then it's a little bit like the penalty against us on the opening weekend. You kind of trust the ref in either situation there. I'm glad he wasn't sent to the monitor. I guess what I'd ask you about then is there was another penalty incident involving Romero. Do you think the ref might have been evening things out there? I do. I feel like if that was the other way around, I'd be screaming for a penalty. I think it is just the evening out from the refs, to be honest. I'm surprised it wasn't three or four more from Spurs in the second half. It probably unlucky that it was only 2-0 in the end from how shallow and hollow Man United's defence were and how invisible the midfield was. I think you're making too much effort to be impartial and be nice to us. I want to see some some bitterness, some vitriol from you, Harry. You're 17 years old. When I was 17 years old, I'd have been blaming everybody but my own team. And say the truth, I still do at 37 years old. So um... I was going to say 17. Yeah, on the on the penalties in the VAR, and this is going to be a really unpopular opinion. I feel like VAR is actually improving. Those two penalties that weren't given on the field and then weren't overturned are a good are a good example of that. I'll be honest, I was absolutely stunned. Romero handball wasn't. They didn't ask him to look at the uh, the screen, um, and then obviously given penalty. I mean, how many times has a referee actually gone to the screen and gone, "No, I was right." Uh, I think it's like two in the history of VAR, which is. Love it when that happens, but it doesn't happen. Um, but ultimately, you're talking about the difference between a hand being by your side or where it was, which was probably, what, five or six inches further out? You know, what's the difference between a natural and unna- unnatural yeah. um, hand position? And then the, and then the uh, it was Martinez, wasn't it? The tackle on, uh, on Romero in the other box. That is a, another one where it is minutiae there and, and and ultimately you're talking about what is the difference between somebody getting to the ball first and somebody charging into each other shoulder charge side to side at exactly the same time because that is fair clear and obvious errors are being asked to look at the screen not very 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 slightly maybe could be oh i'm not so sure about maybe we should let our colleague have another look at it and then they'll obviously overturn it because the pressure is on them to overturn it socks um we eulogized a lot last week about uh several of our new players we eulogized about udogi and van de ven two really exciting young players we we spoke about um the qualities of bisuma we could probably speak just as highly of all of them this week as well but two players that really did step up this week and showed this is why we signed them. Goalkeeper and Pape Matasar. I'm going to ask you to talk about whichever one of those you'd like to speak to and I'm going to ask Harry about the other one afterwards. So who do you want to talk about? The young player or the new goalie? Uh, I'll go for... Oh, I like them both. I'll go for Vicario okay. just because he's been the one that's been receiving the most stick from our fans on the internet. So, I mean, with him, it's a case of... He he was ruled out by our fans because a lot of them had an agenda against it because he wasn't David Raya. More specifically, he cost less money than David Raya. So he has been labeled the cheap option despite barely playing five minutes of professional football for us. So I almost feel like I kind of have to stand to his defense because he'd be getting so much unwarranted criticism. And I don't know if it's a vocal minority or not. It's hard to tell uh, with these things on forums and on social media and stuff like that. But when we signed him, all we heard from basically everybody even remotely Italian was that this was the second best keeper in Italy last season 
I listen to podcasts, I watch YouTube videos, I read articles, Inter fans, Lazio fans, Empoli fans, Milan fans, everybody that watched Serie A for more than five minutes last year was basically saying, you guys have never to be low fee. There were Inter Milan fans coming out and saying, look, we'd rather sell a Nana for 50 and get this guy for 15. The money that we'll make will be worth that. And it's still too small of a sample size for me to come out and say, oh, well, I told you, hey, as I told you so, because he still only played for two games. But if nothing else, he has hopefully done a little bit with that performance to start to get some of those people a bit more outside because his shot stopping was absolutely exceptional. There was a couple of saves, one which ended up being offside anyway, but he tipped them over the bar where it looked like the best bits of somebody like Aurelio Gomez because he had that really long kind of leap and really long stretch. And there wasn't anything else about his game that I didn't like. He clearly wasn't as nervous as what he was last week. His passing was much improved without being outstanding because you saw what an outstanding pass uh, looked like from the other net in Onana because some of the passes that he made first time made me audibly gasp. And I think that's the first time I ever audibly gasped at a goalkeeper playing the ball out at the back, which really does tell you something. Yeah, audibly gasping for the right reasons and not Aurelio Gomez blunder. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there isn't anything that he did wrong. I'm just glad he... Whenever you've got a keeper in his early stages, the first thing you're thinking of is like, all right, just don't make a blunder because this is going to stick with you reputationally across the whole league now if it's your second game and you make a mistake. So even the simple says, I'm just sort of sitting there and like clenching my fist and going, okay, he called that one. Okay, save that one. Okay, he pushed that one out wide as opposed to forward. But uh, I, I can't... Sp- say anything other than really good things about him and let's hope that when he becomes a bit more familiar with our defense specifically where the balls over the top will be our biggest threat or the biggest weakness of our team and anybody who has played football will tell you even at the lowest level in the park with your mates for any period of time instinct and trust is something that's built over time so when that long ball gets played over the top Lucario isn't going to be stood there and going Oh, I watched a YouTube of, uh, video of Mickey van der Ven and he registered a top speed of 22 miles per hour in the Bundesliga last season. He needs to feel that. And the only way he can feel that is if he plays with him for five games, 10 games, 15 games, 20 games. When he gets that, then he's not going to be thinking that. The instinct will kick in and he'll know whether he needs to stay or whether he needs to go. At the moment, he doesn't know that with van der Ven. He doesn't know that with Adoki. He doesn't know that with Romero or Sanchez or Porro or Emerson. So the more time kind of elapses and passes and the more they play with each other, the little things we are concerned with him at the moment, which is, does he stay or does he go? Because he doesn't know himself. Well, there's a repetitive theme in all these podcasts this season will come uh, as a result of time. So um, nothing but nice things to oh, say. Absolutely. And I think goalkeeper, goalkeeper keeps the strikers, but I think slightly more so goalkeepers. That's a position where your entire career at a club can almost be defined in that first couple of games. Because like you say, that you make a blunder and it just sticks with you. You're... You're a comical goalkeeper. They play clown music to montages of you on Sky Sports and Match yep. the Day because God knows we don't value football as mental health, do we? So I think the fact that he had a performance like this in a game this big this early on will hopefully put him in very good stead. It's the same with managers. I mean, we won yeah. three games on Nuno and people were making TikTok compilations of him to PIMP with 50 Cent fist pumping the fans as if we just hired like Sachi or, or someone like this. So I think there's... The way football is nowadays, the way you start almost defines the career respective in the dugout or on the pitch. Early on when uh, I think it was Rashford that was put through, Vicarious coming out to to meet him one-on-one and you're thinking, please don't overcommit, please don't overcommit. You're seeing either a goal or a penalty. And it was almost David Seaman-like, the way he came out, stayed really big, made himself cover the entirety of the net and just smothered his shot and put, and put it away and... That was not a goalkeeper who had any nerves in him. That was a goalkeeper who knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. If it had gone wrong, then who knows what the rest of the game looks like. But the moment he did that, I thought, you're going to have a good game today. And obviously, 
he did. Moving on to the other player I want to talk about, and perhaps fittingly, the youngest player on our team at uh, 20 by a couple of months from Destiny Dog in this league, Papa Matissar. Harry, you're the youngest member of the team today. What do you like about this player? And I'm assuming there's a lot for you to like, even as a Manchester United fan. Not that I think playing against that Manchester United midfield is particularly hard at the moment, but I think it says a lot about a young player when they dominate 180 million combined midfield. I think he was very strong in physicality-wise with Basuma in dominating the midfield. I think Mount or even Bruno defensive-wise even touched Basuma and Saar, particularly Saar. He strikes me with that goal anyway is more, I assume, I mean, I can't say I've watched much of him before uh, the game on Saturday. None of us have. Yeah. But he strikes me as someone who possibly likes to get a bit more forward than Basuma does, which might we could see a partnership in the future between them two. Uh, that'd be an exciting watch. He was very... What I liked about him defensively was the way he his defensive bite. It was really entertaining to watch at how he just bullied Manchester United midfielders and um, just stayed all over them. You could tell he was enjoying himself, especially after his goal and in the second half as probably all Spurs players were. But yeah, I really it, it was a really entertaining player to watch even though there was a cloud over the game surrounding me. <laughs> uh, th- no, thank you for your honesty. And I think that physicality is something we, we all enjoyed. I mean, there was one instance out on uh, the right-hand touchline where I think it was Garnacho trying to press him and Garnacho was tugging him and tugging him and trying to wrestle him off the ball. And Saul literally just shoved him away and then played the ball into and out for a throw-in. And uh, I think uh, that was a quite a amusing moment for a lot of us. And I think seeing him make that run into the box to in quite a composed way, finished for his goal in what was a scrappy situation at that point. I think we couldn't be more delighted for him in the way he celebrated that will have uh, filled many Spurs fans' hearts with joy. Um, Dave, Benton Core comes back tomorrow. Obviously, he doesn't, but if he did, has he got a bit of a fight on his hands with Saar? Or do you think right now you put the, the season pro back in and let Saar learn from, from a more junior position? Because this wasn't just a good performance. It was a good performance in a huge game and mentality is everything in midfield. Yeah. I mean, I mean if Benton Core is match fit and ready to go, then I think I think you'd still you'd still want to start with Benton Core. Um, but at the same time, uh, I do think, like I said earlier, this is almost a, uh, you know, it puts you in a better place than maybe you thought you were because, like you said, it's a mentality thing as well as being able to have the energy and and, and have the, the skill and the, the technique. I mean, I don't think there was any doubt that Saar had that. You know, he's he's always been regarded as a, a youngster with bags of potential. But again, I think we've said it a few times on this on this podcast. See what happens when you get a, a coach who likes to coach people, uh, and and especially when it's one that what, that he's clearly identified that will fit in his system. Maybe it's a case that Saar and Basuma are the uh, are the starting two for when it's uh, when it's a, a top team who look like they're going to uh, have a lot of midfield um, possession. And maybe it's Bentancur and uh, and Basuma when it's a team you're in, you're expected to dominate and be a bit more offensive with. I mean, what a great what a great option to have to be able to switch those guys around when you need to. And this is before we get onto the all singing, all dancing, all pirouetting and Pierre-Emile Hoiberg <laughs> yeah. and his little cameo when he came on. But uh, I, th- I think we've probably dissected this game more than we need to. Dags will yeah. definitely not appreciate editing this if I drown on too much longer. So let's have a look at what we've got to come. And that comes in the shape of uh, AFC Bournemouth away next Saturday 
early kickoff as opposed to late kickoff. They just don't want to let us play Saturday at three, do they? I mean, we're not even in Europe this year. What are they doing? But uh, you're our opposition scout, Dave. I'm not going to take that away from you just because the boss is away. So Bournemouth, what should we be worried about in this game? So last season, when we sacked Jesse Marsh, the number one um, uh, person on our checklist, uh, on our shortlist, sorry, to uh, to replace Marsh was uh, Iraola. Um, which was a uh, well, it was an attempt from Orta to get closer to Bielsa Ball than um, Jesse Marsh ultimately ended up being. Um, there is a reason for that. It's because his uh, well, his football has been described as quite chaotic. Um, but he is very much a disciple of Bielsa. Um, he wants to see his team on the front foot. He wants to see his team attack as his best form of defence. So it's getting the ball into attacking areas, yes, into play, yes, and move the ball quickly, but ultimately move it quickly forward where you, where possibly can. They were unlucky against Liverpool, certainly in the first half. I think I think they probably should have been ahead by half time. You know, they were putting a really strong performance uh, against them, but then the, the match kind of got away from them and Liverpool almost did a very professional job by the end of it, obviously being down to 10 men, but also winning the game relatively comfortably. And I think that might be part of the problem with Bournemouth right now, in the sense that I don't think they've probably got in the same way it's a process for you guys, it's going to be a process for those guys. And I think they're probably not used to the levels of effort which Iraola is expecting of uh, of his teams. And I don't think there's enough subs to replace everybody after 60 minutes. Um, so there might be a tiredness factor in that. I think that was probably the reason that Liverpool's win ultimately was as comfortable as it was. And I think it'll be an interesting matchup between you and uh, and your new style of play and them and their style of play. And one of those instances, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to align this to actually to the very unfortunate, but I'll give Harry a good memory, the matches that, um, uh, that Leeds had against Manchester United uh, for the majority um, when we were, I know there was, a, I think it was a nil-nil or a one-one maybe somewhere in there, but basically we got battered by you every single time. Um, and the reason, especially under Bielsa, that we got battered every single time was because we were essentially trying to match up with you one on one, and 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 try to beat you by playing what we wanted to play. And you have better players, therefore you were able to pick us off, and you were able to win relatively comfortable, comfortably to be honest. Uh, and I think that's what I think will happen uh, this Saturday, in the sense that I think Bournemouth will come at you, and they will really want to put their impose their. Um, their personality and the way of playing onto you. But ultimately, you have the stronger players. And I think you're a little bit further ahead. And maybe that's down to Postacoglu's um, uh, training, or it's just down to the fact that you have better, smarter players who can pick things up a little bit more quickly than maybe the uh, the Bournemouth team. Or it might be just the fact that Iraola's focus might be on fitness rather than, rather than uh, tactics to start with. And therefore, you're just ahead of him because that's the trajectory that he's chosen. But either way, I think they'll go for you. And they might get a, they might get a lead, but ultimately, I think they'll tire and you'll pick them up. Well, uh, I hope you are absolutely right. Um, Socks, do you have much to add to that? No, I'd embarrass myself if I tried to add to that because that's a level of knowledge I simply do not have. That's the most thorough opposition of, uh, research I've ever done by a mile. Genuinely, I know Dags is going to be very, very upset with this seeing you pull the stops out uh, the week that he's not here. But you know what? It's all about great hosting, really. Sure. So I'll flip that a little bit then. What are you most looking forward to watching next week, Socks? What is the what is the thing that um we faced two really tough opponents so far? I know we've obviously spoken about Man United not having the best away record against the top nine, whatever the hell that means. That seems incredibly arbitrary, but whatever. We know that they're uh, in a bit of a 
low moment in terms of they had a poor start to the season. But Brentford were a really tough opponent. Didn't play in a way that allowed us to really kind of express ourselves. And I think even when you're firing on all cylinders, those teams, when they defend like that, are really difficult to to pick apart. And based on everything that Dave's saying, we should see kind of a free flow and open game, which will play to our strengths a little bit. For as poor as maybe United have been, like we were saying before, they still carved us open a couple of times in the first half and could have been one, maybe two nil up. But we forgot to mention Anthony hit the post as well right after we scored, I think. So uh, to play with the greatest of respect to Bournemouth, a slightly easier opponent on paper doesn't necessarily mean we'll win, but hopefully it means we get to see a bit more of our style of play. I'm not expecting this incredible week-by-week improvement when we are somehow 25% better on the weekend. We won't be. We'll be a few percent better and then the week after that will be a few percent better but even if it's similar to what we managed to pull off in the second half against Man United it will be something that all of us really enjoy and hopefully enough to bring us uh, three points Um, I'm also curious to see what he does with the team because he mentioned he being Ange mentioned after the game that he's like look I have to try some of these players out to actually see if they're any good and it's such a far cry from everything Conte was saying last year where he just refused to play Saar no matter how well he played or refused to play Hill or basically anybody Asuma. who wasn't his favourite. Basuma, precisely. He did say, he's like, look, Skip and Emerson didn't do anything wrong, but how do I know Porro's any good if I can't play him? And how do I know Sars any good if I can't play him? There were obviously, we don't know at the time of recording the status of Madison's foot injury, but maybe there's a half decent chance we see Lacelso. Maybe there's a half decent chance Hoiberg starts or whomever, or maybe there's a chance it's Solomon or a Perisic. So I'm curious to see I mean, he's not going to make five changes every game, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's one or two in a couple of those positions where I think all of us can look at it and go, okay, the keeper, Romero, Van der Ben, Basuma, Madison are about as, and I guess Sudoki are about as locked as positions can be. But there is room in the four or five other positions to have a couple of rotations each week and see what that looks like and how it manifests. So, um, yeah, I just can't wait to watch Tottenham play. And, the fact that I'm saying this means you know what's coming. Yeah, I know. It's going to be some bastard that I've never heard of who they've just signed that's going to absolutely dick on us three minutes from time with some sort of master blast of 30 yards from a goal. I'm going to be sat here going, God, I preferred it when I didn't <laughs> care and I didn't have that, any emotional investment in this stupid <laughs> fucking football club. Oh, exactly. So, or it's going to be 31-year-old expert Spurs Academy product, Adam Smith, coming off the bench to score a Adam rocket Smith, from yeah. 35 yards, a thunder bastard, if you will, to defeat us in a game we've dominated. I, for one, I'm just looking forward to seeing more possession of football. 70% away to Brentford, 54% at home to Manchester United. When's the last time across two games against two decent sides, we averaged over 60% possession? That's that's not the Spurs we've been watching for so long. We, we've been so passive and I'm just so excited about some more front foot football, some more football where players are actually taking accountability for trying to win the game and not just relying on, uh, well, into Kane, into Son, boom. Uh, which, as we know, had its uh, time and we're glad it's over. Harry, you've seen Spurs twice now without Harry Kane in the side. You've seen Spurs twice now with Richarlison leading the line. Clearly a striker that needs a bit of confidence. Do you think, window's still open for another 10 days, much to Dave's dismay, do you think we need to go out and find a number nine? Do you think we need to switch it up and maybe put Son down the middle and someone like Perisic out wide? Or do you think we just need to give Richarlison enough of a run to get his confidence in his shooting boots on. Do you think that's probably the best idea, especially with the market? It's quite bare at the moment, coming from a Man United fan whose club have been searching for a striker the entire summer window. I think it is a good idea to maybe give him a run up until Christmas or so. I do feel like there is a good player in Richarlison. You know, he is Premier League proven. I do feel, however, that without Kane... 
Spurs' attack has been somewhat lacklustre. As was mentioned before, four goals so far at the start of this Premier League season hasn't come from Spurs' attack. So I should be somewhat of a worry there. However, you know, we're two games in. The attack could could very well grow into the season. I feel like if we're highlighting some decent attacking players from the game, I liked Kulisevsky. I feel like he ripped Luke Shaw to shreds that game. Way too sensible. Um, I'm not getting any vitriol from you today, and that is bitterly disappointing. We we can't even bully you about this because you're being way too level-headed. It's uh, no, I I think everything you say is absolutely right. It actually mirrors a lot of what Sox and I said post-match as well to each other. That ultimately, yes, we could we could sort of fire the pistol from now, but. We need to give this time to gel. Sox alluded to earlier that Son's clearly not quite perfect for his role at the moment. Kulisevsky isn't quite perfect for his role at the moment. But we're talking about good players here. It, it really should uh, be... There really should be a winning combination in there between the three of them. And I would absolutely love it if Richarlison does actually rise like a phoenix and give us what we need up front because he is receiving way too much hostility for a guy who seems to be actually quite a good all-round person as well and it doesn't seem fair to me so we've got uh Manchester United out of the way we're looking forward to the next few fixtures we're looking forward to Bournemouth in a week's time how them heart socks where do you reckon we're ending the next three games in, in terms of points tallies there's we've got four on the board now Probably the two hardest of our first five. Nine points ahead of us. Obviously, anything can happen in football and you shouldn't ever rest on your laurels. Give me a prediction. No fence setting. Uh, we will beat Bournemouth. We will beat Sheffield United. But we will drop points away at Burnley, who are quite a good side. Obviously, we've only seen them once at home to City and then they had a game that didn't go ahead against Luton because of the stadium issues. But against City, they were doing some good things. They just came up against the best team in the world. So those things weren't able to kind of come up. So... There's no way we're winning all three. I don't know if the drop points is a draw or a loss, but it, it will be one of the two. Um, and then we will go into, I think after Sheffield United, it's Arsenal, isn't it? I think we will go into the Arsenal game on a, a kind of a decent points tally and then we can cross that bridge when we come to it. But I'm cautiously optimistic of two wins in the next three, but there's going to be a bit of a slip up somewhere because I, they can't not be really. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. Right, I think we're probably done with the match section of um, of today's show, but I'm going to have a very, very mini competition to, to round things off. I'm going to pit uh, our uh, two sides of the Pennines against each other and uh, see who has the more in-depth knowledge. Will it be the fresh and vibrant but slightly inexperienced memory of Harry or will it be the wizened experience but potential near... Um, deterioration of Dave so very simple one it's going to be back and forth back and forth penalty shootouts between the two of you one by one Harry you are going to try and name players that have played for both Spurs and Leeds Dave you're going to try and name players that have played for both Spurs and Manchester United so the first one to get one wrong goes over we're going sudden death as well so whoever starts obviously if they get it wrong they're almost out. So, so let's see. Wow. Um, oh, this is hard. I've got I've got Spurs and Leeds. I don't know any Leeds players. <laughs> I don't care about Leeds. And I tell you what, Sox, you can be on Harry's <laughs> side and without actually 
giving hints. I'm going to referee it and decide what's fair and what's not. You can you can maybe okay. provide the odd clue to Harry, uh, and this is just to make up for the fact that Dave, you do have 22 years on the kids, 22 years more football in you. So, um, Harry, what year? What year are you? Yeah, born? 2006. 2006 yeah. Oh, bloody hell, that's that's yeah. tough. How many anyway. Okay, played for Spurs in League 2006. It's not that many. Well. More than you know, but that's the problem. <laughs> We're going to go Premier League, Eric, because as we know, football didn't begin before the Premier League. Oh, come on. Okay. Dave, you can go first. Played for both Spurs I, and I, Man United. Ah. Michael Carrick. Yep. Okay. Um, bro, See, I told you we were going to bully children on this episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, my days. I can give him positions, but if I just said left back, I'm not sure that helps. Or goalkeeper. Because there's a lot of them. There's a left back. There's a goalkeeper. What about there's a right winger. Ever, what about best ever? Best left ever left back. Left back. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I'm going to join in with the clues for Harry then. Irish and did cartwheels. Irish and did cartwheels. I'm not sure. I don't know. I was expecting it to be <laughs> the other way. In, in about I was 2004. expecting it to be. You, you, I was expecting to get United and Spurs, not yeah. United and Leeds. I yeah. don't know any Leeds players. <laughs> don't worry, Harry. He signed three years before one. And by the time you got into football, he'd retired. Oh, so it should brilliant. be a really easy oh, one for you to get. Oh, is he? Name, um, oh, actually, how about. Is his last name Keane? Is it Keane? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Excellent. We got there. Oh, <laughs> I think I think I think Harry should say this is a win. <laughs> he absolutely should. He yeah. absolutely should. Dave oh, pressures on. I've ever watched a minute of football with that man in it. Well, no clue. All you managed to do, Elio, is make me as thirty-one-year-old feel as old as I've ever felt in my entire life. I I don't consider myself old, but when someone is struggling to guess Robbie fucking Keane, <laughs> then <laughs> so your ancient cry reminds me. Harry, homework for after this episode. Go on YouTube and find compilation upon compilation of Robbie Keane and report well, back. Dude, he was, well, he well, was well, so dude. good. I'm not, he was I'm not so who good. he is. I just, I also didn't know he played for Leeds. It wasn't very, yeah. very long time, but yeah, he, he, he was, he was pretty good for us for a very short amount of time. This. Well, it's an embarrassing. Oh, it is, oh, and we want to get back to oh, Harry. So well. just shoot out a Man United Spurs player, uh, Robbie Keane's strike partner, Dimitar Berbatov. Dimitar Berbatov, wow, obviously a uh, great player for both clubs, um, but uh, de- debatable who he was better for. Only one more. Okay, I'm interested to see who that is. We might actually sneak Harry a win here. So, clue for you again, Harry, for Spurs meets players in common. His surname is the same as one of the Beatles. One of the Beatles. Oh, Aaron Lennon. See, it's oh, not nice. that hard. He's going to get some confidence now. It's like Vicario. And I, I, I knew he had. I knew he played for Spurs, and I knew he played for Everton. But again, I don't know any Leeds players. I've got no clue. I mean, clearly not. You know two now. You know two now. <laughs> right. Oh god. So who's your third Spurs Manchester United player, Dave? Teddy Sheringham. Yeah. Is that your last one? I can't think of any others. He played at the weekend. Okay. But maybe that's me because I'm not thinking of it. Okay. Them. Okay. So. Yeah. Next clue is going to depend on whether I think Harry knows more about 17-year-old prodigious, unfulfilled talents who I once proclaimed as the great (laughs) generational talent or whether we should go to players that played quite a bit for England. How well do you know your 2006 World Cup, Harry? (laughs) I can't say I was live at the time. It's the year you were born. I don't even know if I was born. Was I born? No. Well, it was your birthday... What, two weeks ago, did you say? Yeah, on the 11th. Yeah, you weren't born. 
Oh, this brilliant. was a few weeks before you were born. <laughs> to be fair, I wasn't born in 1966, but I can tell you, you won it. So Yeah, but we did win it that year. You named the team. No. <laughs> so England's goalkeeper at the 2006 World Cup. Um, played for Burnley for quite a bit until recently. Is He shares his surname with a type of fruit squash. Squash. And his surname is a Ribena. What? <laughs> England's number one. Yeah. Played with Leeds, played with Spurs, and shares a surname with a fruit drink that isn't Ribena, but is also a cordial. Vimto. Uh, <laughs> if only. Our inventor. Good old Paul Vimto. Really unfortunate that I, I'm actually like an Jeff avid Vimto. disliker of cordial. <laughs> I, I, I just drink water. I don't even drink cardio. That's what's, that's what's done you in in this quiz. <laughs> Not the fact that Elio has stagged the odds tremendously against you. <laughs> and it's begged you to me quite literally put a um, rabbit out of a hat. That, that would be more uh, likely than this. 2006 goalkeeper. I think we... He's dropped a massive clanger against Croatia where he missed the ball. That's his, probably his most famous battle. Gary Neville back past it to him in that in a moment. Qualifier. I have heard of this. I've just read. Yeah, I've forgotten. <laughs> it just might be that I don't know who he is. <laughs> His name rhymes with Schnobinson. Is it Robinson? It is Robinson. Excellent. Is it Robinson? <laughs> and I think on that note, Harry wins the quiz. Thank you. <laughs> this is this is where we have I've got a, a hell one. of a lot of really incredible editing. No, no, Dave. No one can hear you. I've You're got What did you say? <laughs> who are you going to say, Dave? I I do have an I do have another two now. Well, I'm not going to torment Harry any further with this. I'd love to hear who you have left. And one, one, one was playing right. One's playing right yeah. now, which, which obviously is why Harry said really. So thanks for that, Harry. So that would be Christian Eriksen. <laughs> and the other, and I got one other, and I got one other, and then I really, really am out. Uh, the other, the other one I got. If if we're done, mm -hmm. and I can just say it. Yeah, we're done. You can say it. It was Louis Saha. Uh, yeah, Louis Saha, very briefly, um, obviously much fabled signing in the year that we should have actually backed Harry Redknapp as we could have won the title. So thank you for rubbing salt in the wound, Dave. Even after all these years, it still hurts. You're welcome. And Socks, you had two more Manchester Uniteds. Yeah, I can't believe you forgot about the legend. You said best ever left back, Dave, but what you forgot was the legend that was Zeke Fryers, who played for both Man United and Tottenham Hotspur. I think he was also he Crystal was at Palace Crystal at one Palace point. And there was, a whole, was there a tribunal over it? And the other one, who and did we receive? I've never forgot. heard of that. Who person. did we receive in exchange for Dimitar Berbatov? replacement. Fraser, Fraser Campbell. Uh, Signed on deadline day, alone along with uh, Roman Pavlichenko. And Harry, here's someone else you could have said. Jack Clark, who I did once proclaim as the great entertainer of this generation. You would have got that though, wouldn't you? Excellent. Well, I'm not going to put <laughs> our listeners through any more of this. I think uh, I think we've given Dagus a relatively easy job in editing, but uh, I really enjoyed having you on, Harry. Have you enjoyed the experience? Have, have, do you feel you've got out of this what you would have liked? I've loved it. Thank you very much for having me on. No, absolute pleasure. You've been brilliant. Definitely better than the rest of us usually are. So no, been great having you on. Socks, Dave, anything to add on today's proceedings other than what a dickhead I am for doing that to Harry just now? No. I mean, it was mean, but um, but no, you know, being mean to Manchester United fans is okay. Well, we have promised that we'd bully children several times on this podcast. I know legally Harry's an adult, but compared to us, well, he wasn't even watching the 2006 World Cup. So there you go. 
Socks, any last words before I do the Twitter and email shambles? We have had an email in uh, from a Leeds-based Spurs fan. And uh, this person's Angela Francis, who just wants to recount her feelings on things past, present and future. My first match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was on 9th of April 2019. We played Manchester City and beat them 1-0 in the first leg of the quarterfinals in the Champions League. I've always said this match spoiled me for life, as no subsequent match I've ever been to has lived up to that one. The electric atmosphere, the joy and exhilaration of the fans, and the unadulterated love I felt for my club until yesterday. I really hope I'm not getting ahead of myself. I really don't think I am. But Ange and Interna players just get it. The way we want them to play on the pitch and for each other. The way we want them to represent our great club and the engagement we want them to have with us as fans. Yesterday, I felt it all. I know it's just their job, but if the players show me that they love the club, even a fraction of how much I do, then I will support those players eternally. And I really felt that from the, them yesterday. Obviously, this doesn't include our wonderful captain, Sonny, who is already 100% Spurs. Anyway, really need to get to the pub to sum up. I am excited and I love my club. Really nice to meet some of you yesterday. She met Daggers in Leeds. I think that's why we got the email. In Andrew Trust, come on you Spurs, Tottenham till I die. Well, thanks, Angela. You better be listening to this because it's no good getting emails and not getting our figures up. We'd rather the latter in all honesty. But uh, no, really lovely to have someone email in that isn't Sock's dad or Joe's dad. I think that's first. Um, listeners, thanks again for putting up with us. We have at plus Dave Dags to follow. We have me at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And of course, we have uh, Fantasy Dave at Fantasy Dave on Twitter. We also have the pod's Twitter address at plus Dave podcast and our email address. Socks, do you remember it? Because I don't. No. In that case, I think uh, isn't uh, it just, no email address. Isn't for it you. just plus Dave podcast at gmail.com? I think it is just plus Dave podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Enjoy doing this. I hope you enjoy listening just, to you it. You know what? Send something there and hope for the best. And I hope that it's us that replies as opposed to some random that has taken well, the name. It might be let's fun. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> right. I Imagine think this... that. We've given out the wrong email address for the past. Two years. This whole time. Some bluff on the other side of the world. Just getting loads of emails. I don't even know what Spurs are. This is, this is the best podcast I've ever listened to. If only we bloody know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, good, good. As always, stay classy, Spurs fans.